You are now listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this message is not only a blessing to you, but to your entire family. Join us as we aim to make Christ known in our community by caring for the community. God bless. Romans 9. Romans chapter 9 is where we are. Romans chapter 9, we'll look at verses 14 through 18 today. Romans chapter 9, we welcome you all here today, those here in the building and those who are also online. Glad to have you here with us today. Thankful for all of our visitors here, first-time visitors, even online. If you're dropping in, grateful for you. In Romans chapter 9, and we will look today at verses 14 through 18. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? If there's injustice on God's part, is there injustice with God? Absolutely not, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or assertion, but on God who has mercy. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whomever that is Romans 9 verses 14 through 18 may the Lord add a blessing to the readers hearers and doers of his word you may grab your seats this morning as we look here at Romans 9 14 through 18 I want to tag this text if I can our God is sovereign our God is sovereign What do you love most about God? I know we love that our God is gracious. I know we love that he is kind. I know we love that he supplies, as scripture says, all of our need according to his riches and glory. But what is it about God that really shapes your thinking? Or let me ask a different question. What is an attribute of God that you either tend to forget or that you wrestle through the most. We think about the attributes of God. I think about the immutability of God, how God is impartial, how God is a God of justice, and how God is is eternal, how he's faithful. I love just thinking about how God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, meaning that he, he knows all things. He's everywhere at the same time. He's all loving. Like God is a great God. But what is an attribute, really, that that you either tend to forget or or, or that you wrestle through the most? I want to be honest with you. If I can answer the question and just be transparent with you today, if I'm honest, many times in my own life, I tend to wrestle through the sovereignty of God. 
I wrestle with the, with the fact that God is sovereign because for whatever reason, I want to be in control over my own life. I, I ain't talking about you because I know y'all perfect. Y'all blood bought. Y'all running to see what the end going to be. Y'all speaking Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and tongues. So, so I'm just talking about me. I struggle with the sovereignty of God because I want to control my own life. And because I want to control my own life, when things of God don't make sense to me, I wrestle through the tension of wanting to do things my own way. So to really lay my head and hang my coat on the hook that God is sovereign, I wrestle with that. I, I tend to wrestle with it, but, but what I learn, right, is that, I can, it, 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 is that when I continue to spend time with God and when I mature, and I would even say when, when we mature in the Lord, we realize that God's sovereignty is not based on our merit. The sovereignty of God is not based on what we think, how we feel, or even how we process the scripture. The, the, the sovereignty of God is no, by, by any means, contingent upon our comfort. But God is, his sovereignty is not based on our merit, but his sovereignty is based on his mercy. And that's the main point that I want to give us today as we look at these four verses. God's sovereignty is not based on our merit, but based on his mercy. Understand this, the sovereignty of God is a truth that while we know it's true, many of us, if we're honest, we tend to forget it. The moment we hear it, we forget it because can't nobody control me like me. Can't nobody make decisions for me like me. So I'll just much rather make my own. So that way, when I fail, I blame me. But here's the issue. When we fail and things don't go our way, it's not us we blame. It's, it's two people that we blame. We either blame God or we give credit to the devil. That ain't nothing but the enemy or, God, if you love me, why would you allow this to happen? He said, I allow it to happen because I love you. The sovereignty of God is a truth that while we know it's true, many of us tend to forget. God uh, being sovereign is really this, this reality that God is in control of all things and has supreme authority over the universe. That's what his sovereignty is, is that, that, that sovereignty is simply just a fancy word that really communicates that he's in control of all things and he has supreme authority over the universe. God's sovereignty, God being sovereign, really implies that God's will is ultimate. His will um, is ultimate and it prevails over any human or any earthly power. All throughout scripture, we've been getting to see evidences, right, that God is sovereign in places like Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. How about Job 42? I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Why? Because he's in control. Many of the plans, Proverbs 19 says, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Even Ephesians 1, 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Pastor Darren, God is in control. Even in Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. As we think through the sovereignty of God, many, 
Many people like me who wrestle through the tension of sovereignty could possibly also wrestle through the tension of fairness. We wrestle through the tension of sovereignty while we also wrestle through the tension of fairness. Most of us have heard or have felt before the statement, well, God will do for that person and won't do it for me. Well, that's not, it's not fair. And if we're honest, we've said it before. When things don't go our way, when we don't get what we want, when things don't happen the way we want it to happen, when things don't happen in our timing, that's not fair. Not just adults, but even our kids. If you're a kid in this room, no matter your age, if, if your teacher gives folks candy and don't give it to you, well, that's not fair. And we even go further, poke our lip out, cross our arms, and stuff. That is not fair. It happens all over the place. We, we, because we have a hard time gripping the sovereignty of God that he's in control, we also wrestle through fairness. When your brother or your sister gets something that you want, and something don't always go your way, it's not fair. All when I was a kid, I got a twin sister. Michelle, shout out to Michelle, right? Michelle um, is the better looking twin, but... There was always, she, she has this gift of singing. The girl can sing like it ain't nobody's business. And every time she sing, I'm like, that's not fair. Tanika, she just has this grit. It's my older sister, this toughness, right? She just, she just hard to the core. And I just, I just melt. I'm soft. I'm a nurturer. And whenever I need that toughness, I look at Tanika and I'm like, that's not fair. All because I found out that I wrestled through God's sovereignty because, because I wrestled through God's sovereignty, it caused me not to be comfortable with who God made me to be. Ultimately, because I wrestled through the sovereignty of God, wrestling through the reality that he's in control, Ultimately, what I communicate with God is that, God, I'm not okay with what you created. Reality is that we want things to be fair. We want things to work out for us, yes, but we want things to be our way. We all want to win the championship, but we don't want to follow the playbook. We all want to be coached and we want to be led by someone greater than us, but as soon as the play causes us to run in between two walls, two big blocks, we like, God, certainly you ain't saying that. If we really embrace the sovereignty of God, the reality of it is, is that we wouldn't only say it was God when things were great, but even, right, when we really understand the sovereignty of God is that even when it's raining in your life, even, right, when, when, when strong winds are rising and, and, and life is all in shambles, right, when, you're, when, you, when, you, when your marriage is hanging on by a thread and your friends are turning their back on you, can I just talk about me, right, pastors at Faith Community, even when I feel abandoned, guess what? God is still sovereign. He's in control. We want things to work out for us. We want everything to work out for us. We want God to be fair. So we think. So we think. Right? I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but let me just tell you, you don't want God to be fair, really. I just believe that if we really knew what justice was, we wouldn't ask for it. 
that's another conversation for another day. But, but, but we say we want God to be fair, so we think. But I love right here in Romans, right? Romans 10, y'all remember, or Romans 9, right? Earlier up before our text today, God spoke some things through Paul to the church at Rome that makes us uncomfortable. It, it makes us uncomfortable. How do I know that it makes us uncomfortable? Because church is split over these verses. Right, people write tender, well, we just got to agree to disagree on these verses. So it makes us uncomfortable. What did he say? And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that the purposes of God, that the God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Here's what, here's what gets people right here. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What? You mean to tell me God chooses to love one and hate the other? Certainly not my God who's loving. That's not fair. Do you know the moment we ask for fairness is the moment that we strip God of his control? Paul knew, y'all, that if we were tracking with him, that we would respond. That ain't fair. He knew that we would be tracking. He knew, right, that, 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 the, that, that those who would be reading this on December 10th, 2023, would say, wait, he loved one and hated the other? That's not fair. If Paul was saying that God made his decision to bless Jacob and reject Esau based on the fact that God, here it is, foresaw that Jacob would decide to trust in him, but Esau would reject God, no one would have thought to accuse God of being unfair. It's interesting, we accuse God for being unfair, knowing that he's sovereign, but in the other verses he says that he foreknew. Means that he knew beforehand. So why are we surprised that he, he chose one and not the other if he knew beforehand? But here's the thing. That's perfectly fair. There's no problem with that. But, but, but Paul, right, he goes out of his way to make it clear that God chose Jacob and rejected Esau apart from anything that they would do so that his purpose, according to election, his choosing would stand. But we don't like to hear, we don't like that because it's uncomfortable. We want things to be equal and fair. We want everyone to have an equal shot at salvation. And we want that salvation to be linked in some small way to something that we can do, but it can't. We want to be able to say I'm saved because I made a decision, my own, I made a decision on my own to follow Jesus. But here's the reality, right? We can't in our own mind make the decision to follow Jesus because we don't even know we need Jesus till we already got him. That's how messed up we are. Then... You know, if we can take credit for our salvation, then we can take credit for our own decisions and our own faith, too. Some tend to avoid the controversy and won't teach. This, 
passages like these, some, some pastors, some teachers, even some students of God's word make a decision to avoid really the teaching of election or the teaching of God's choosing. They avoid it, right? Uh-uh, to, uh, they avoid that, the point that election is the gracious and free act of God by which he chooses those who are part of his kingdom and special beneficiaries, if will, of his love and of his blessing. It's all in God's hands, not ours. He chooses us. You may want to write this down. He chooses us simply because, here it is, this is going to get real deep. Y'all ready? He chooses us because he chooses to. Well, it can't be that simple, Pastor. It got to be deeper than that. No, it's no deeper than that. He chooses you because he chooses to. Not because we do things well, behave so well, not because we trust him 100%, or even because we deserve him. It's his choice. God is sovereign. To say that he's sovereign is simply to say that his power is unlimitless. To say that God is sovereign tells us that he's in control of all things, whether we know it or not. God is in control of all affairs, not only of nature, but also of history. For too long, y'all, a lot of us who've made a commitment to follow the Lord, have a hard time resting in the sovereignty of God. Because like me, we just love to be in control. I was having a conversation with one of our dear sisters yesterday, wrestling through the tension of, God, I want you to be my Savior. But I also want you to be my Lord. Why do I wrestle with, why is Savior so easy, but being my Lord is so difficult? It's because we just want our hands on everything. Yeah, we want to be saved from hell, but so save me, God. You're my savior. Hallelujah. But, 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 but like, will your, like the difficult thing is my response is, you are my Lord. Wait, that didn't even cross my mind because I just wrestled through, like, having my hand all over my own life. Paul, while he was dealing with this difficult subject here, he didn't avoid it. He didn't back away from it. He raises the objections that he knows we will have. And then rather than solving his point, he stood flat-footed on it. Rather than running from it, well, y'all understand it better by and by. He stood flat-foot, ten toes down on what he knew about God. Let me just ask you this. When people begin to disagree with what the Scripture clearly says, do you run from it, do you change, or do you stand flat-footed on it? Paul stood there. He strengthens it. Right. Watch what Paul says. Verses 16 through 18. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy. Here's the Michael Sander version, Davina, on whoever he wants to. He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Like many do today, y'all, not just with this biblical truth, but with others, Paul couldn't soften his point. He couldn't avoid it altogether. But instead of softening the truth, Paul begins to strengthen this truth. Why did he do it? Like, I would suggest at first he did it because the Holy Spirit inspired him to. 
Holy Spirit inspired him to. Paul's letters, y'all, are the inspired word of God given to him for spiritual understanding, right? Even though some of his writings are hard to understand and the, uh, uh, and the untaught and unstable tends to distort Paul's teaching. They are scripture given by the Spirit to make us wise unto salvation. Paul strengthened it, right? Paul stood on it, right? He strengthened it not only because the Holy Spirit, right, um, inspired him to, but Paul wrote these things because they are in line with the rest of Scripture. Now, I want to tell you something right away. I'm I'm going to get to this text in a minute, but I need you to know that Scripture does not contradict itself. Scripture confirms itself, right? Uh, uh, what my empowerment folk at? Y'all remember the saying, right? The Word of God does two things. It manifests and multiplies, right? The Word of God confirms itself. So Paul writes here, um, he, he stands on this because it's in line with Scripture. He builds his argument in Romans 9 on the Old Testament. He cites Old Testament all through Romans 9 in verse 7, verse 12, 13, 15, 17, 25, and 26, 27 through 29, and even verse 33 here, Paul was, was heralding Old Testament bombs to prove a point. Paul believed that what the Scripture says about God is God. He believed it. Do you, like Paul, Believe and embrace the authority of Scripture? Do you grasp the principle that God speaks to us through his word? I want you to know, y'all, listen, Scripture has authority. It's not just words on pages, but it has authority because it's the word of God. Scripture alone is authoritative for the faith and practice of the blood ball. The word of God is complete, authoritative, and true. I love what Paul right, said to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture alone is authoritative for faith and practice of the blood bought. The Bible is complete. It's authoritative and it's true. So as we stand on points and as we wrestle through the tension of sovereignty, we got to understand that he's completely sovereign. Like God's will for us ain't multiple choice. It's not. He believed, Paul believed it so much that he made sure that what he said aligned with the scriptures. Is what you say lined up with the scriptures or do you focus more on your opinion? Do what you say and what you believe align with the scriptures or do what you say and what you believe find more value based off of your experiences? How do you defend your beliefs? Do you defend what you believe based off of Scripture or what mom and them said? The word, if you believe the word of God is authoritative, then you, your belief, what you know about God, should be fueled from the word. Romans 9, y'all, does not consist of opinions of Paul, uh, which we are free to accept if we agree or ignore if we disagree. But Romans 9 is God speaking to us with authority through Paul to tell us what we need to know to be assured of our salvation. Paul knew, y'all, as he 
gave this biblical teaching on God's sovereignty and how it connects with choice, he knew, y'all, that some of us would, that ain't fair. He knew it. So he teaches here that as a righteous sovereign over all, God is not unjust to grant mercy to some and to harden others because all deserve his judgment and will experience his judgment. But in our passage today, Paul raises and responds vigorously to the objection that God may be unjust to choose some and harden others. He uses scripture. He uses scripture to confirm scripture. He's saying here, right, and God doing what he want to do, he is not unjust. He quotes Exodus 33, 19 to support it, right? Um, he says, Exodus 33, 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before my name the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Understand this. It's God who decides who receives mercy. He's sovereign. And he chooses who will be saved without violating his character. He does it based off of his mercy. It's not, uh -uh, it does not depend on man who wills or man who runs, but on God who has mercy. He said in his word, but for this purpose, ex purpose, Exodus 9, 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Y'all, it is, but that's as clear as day. Our God is sovereign. He chooses who he, who he will be in relationship with. He chooses who will serve his purposes. Salvation is not initiated by human choice. Salvation is not merited by human effort. It's done by God's sovereign power. Now hear this though. That does not take away our responsibility to be intentional in our evangelism. That does not, yeah, yeah, salvation is a spiritual thing, but being obedient to God is our responsibility. He still gives us the responsibility. Oh, oh, oh y'all need scriptures, right? We ain't got to Romans 10 yet, but Romans 10 said, how will they hear without a preacher? Which means, now, now he's not saying, now notice, he's not saying in Romans 10, how will they hear unless somebody proclaims from a pulpit? From a y'all know we don't have pulpits no more. From a metal stand, all of us have the responsibility to be intentional in our evangelism. While God only has the power, only God has the power to save. We have the responsibility to tell the story. Notice, right? Even even in one of our values here at Faith Community, we say uh, we value intentional evangelism, not intentional saving, because it's not our job to save; it's our job to share. Only God has the power to save. What's really being communicated, really to us in this text, is that God's choice is not based on human merit, but on His will and His mercy. It, this text really emphasizes that God has the right to show mercy on whom He chooses and to harden the hearts of others, all according to His divine plan. God is sovereign. God's sovereignty is not based on our merit, but based on His mercy. Because God is completely sovereign, Paul here. Um, shows us three important things in this text. He shows us three things in this text that happens because God is sovereign. Number one, here it is. Because God is sovereign, he doesn't treat anyone unjust. 
Now, now process that though. Like I want you to process it. Really, because when we, when, we, when we get off of Romans 9, verse 13, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, we like, wait a minute, that's not fair, that's unjust. But hear this, because God is sovereign, he doesn't treat anyone unjust. That's not who he is. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Here's the Michael Sander version. Heck no. He says, no, by no means, absolutely not. There's nothing about God that is unjust. There's nothing about God that's unfair. And to think so is preposterous. Look it up. It's a word. Paul here is responding to what he knew many would think about the statement that he made in verse 13, that, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau, right? He responded to that. Paul is saying, right, that the very question that we would even begin, to, if God is sovereign, for us to even begin to question whether God is unjust or not is outrageous. It's outrageous by virtue of who he is. God cannot possibly be unjust. Well, come here, uh, Genesis 18, 25, right? He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far by that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. There's a Bible scholar, y'all, by the name of James Boyce. James Boyce said, even if God could save people on the basis of something in them, faith, good works, or whatever, this would actually be injustice since people's backgrounds are unequal. Wow. Due to the natural temperament, right, um, they're being raised in a believing family or whatever, it's easier for some people to be more trusting in God. But for the same reasons, it's easier for some to be good moral people. If God's choosing us were based on factors that are within us, it would not be fair to those who were raised in violent, immoral, or pagan backgrounds. How often have you had a conversation with somebody, a believer, who said, well, I didn't really grow up in church, but I went here, somebody shared the gospel, and it rocked my heart. I have a brother, a brother of mine, he'll tell you quick, like, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know nothing about the church, but I jumped off the porch, right, and ended up making bad decisions, right, ended up going to jail, and it was this guy with his thick thumb who read Psalm 51, right? He told me, read Psalm 51. I did it, and I was mind-blown by it. God chose to put him in a cage to save him. Well, why did God have to put him in a, in a cage to save him? That's what he wanted to do. But we so focused on how it happened that we miss that God does whatever he wants to get your attention. There's nothing about God that's unfair. Nothing. To raise the question of fairness presupposes, y'all, that we have rights and that our rights are being violated. Do you know that, right, in Christ you have no rights? You belong to him. You belong, if you have no rights, then you have no basis to claim that somebody is treating you unfairly. 
Y'all remember Romans 3, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his gift, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Because all have sinned without excuse, y'all. Thousands of times against God's holy standards, y'all. We have no right to accuse him of being unjust if he didn't grant us mercy. Um, if he did, if he did not grant us mercy and salvation, right, his justice would only bring us what we deserve. That's why I'm like, man, we must not really understand what justice is. If we keep asking for justice, do you know that, right, what would happen if we say, God, bring justice? He says, okay, let me tell you what would happen. Everybody will fall wherever they are. And And guess what that would mean? That would be just. It would be just. There's nothing unfair about our God. Because he's sovereign, he doesn't treat anyone unjustly. I know it's hard for us to wrap our mind around, right, because we know God to be so loving. We know God to be so gracious. But take some time and and really reflect on the fact that, right, um, the Scripture says those who he foreknew, he he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then begin to line that up. Right with Psalms 11, where he says he he hates the sinner and those who do wickedness because he knows that they love sin more than they love him. He tells them to do this. Depart from me. I never knew you. We got to wrestle through that. That there's tension in that. But understand, right? God, number one, he doesn't treat anybody unjust. God's sovereignty is not based on our merit, but it's based on his mercy. Because God is sovereign. He doesn't treat, number one, anybody unjust. But number two, because God is sovereign, Paul shows us here that God is free to show mercy to whoever he wishes. He's free to show mercy to whoever he wishes. Quoting Exodus 33, 19, Paul says in in verse 15, for he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. That being said, y'all, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God. Now, at first, a quote from Exodus 33 don't sound like an explanation, but a restatement of the problem, namely that God is unfair. So really we need to understand really the context in which God spoke these words to Moses. He had grown up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Moses. And while he was there, the people grew restless. How many of us grow restless waiting on God? It's it's interesting. We grow restless waiting on God, but he patiently waits for you ready to receive you with open arms, but that's another time. While we were growing restless, while they were growing restless, Moses, right, and while they was growing restless, right, they asked Aaron to make a golden calf. And they all began to worship. They were all guilty of idolatry. After Moses destroyed the golden calf and executed judgment on the leaders, he went back up to the mountain to make atonement for their sins. In that context, that's Exodus Exodus 32, Exodus 33, right? In that context, Moses, like Paul did in Romans 3, 
Oh, Romans 9, verse 3, prayed. And he said, if God would not forgive the people, then he could blot Moses out of his book. Isn't that something? He wanted the people to experience God so much, he's saying, listen, if you ain't going to forget him, then blot me out. God replied, I'm going to punish those who sin. Moses, y'all, he continued to plead with God for his presence to go with him. Then Moses, he boldly asked God in Exodus 33 to show him his glory. Then God replied, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I'll show compassion. Really, to paraphrase, God is telling Moses, this is the, ep- the essence of who I am. This is my name. He, he's telling him, my glory is displayed by my freedom to show mercy and compassion when I want to on whoever I want to show it to. What, what he's really telling him is that I'm not obligated to show mercy to anybody because all have sinned and justly deserve my judgment, but I'm free to show my glory both by giving mercy to some and by withholding it from others. Why? Because that's who I am. Do you understand that there's nothing that you've done so well that you deserve mercy? There's nothing that you've done so well that when you were sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, that God threw a life raft of you instead of letting you drown? There's nothing that you do so well to deserve a relationship with God, but because he's gracious, because he's merciful, because he's kind, hallelujah, because he's compassionate, he's saying, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Right? Hear this, right? Because God is sovereign, he is free to show mercy on whoever he wishes. I remember a few years ago, I went to a funeral with with a good friend who had just buried his stepfather, his dad. We preached a sermon. What do you do when mercy runs out? And it was later through conversation, we found out that his dad wasn't a follower of Jesus. And he said, his mercy ran out. One would say, well, wait a minute, that wasn't, that ain't right, is it? God shows mercy on whom, on whoever he wishes question before you is what are you going to do when your mercy run out? He's free to show mercy on whoever he wants to show mercy. And it's not based off of our merit. It's based on, his, based on who he is. No human, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no who they hang around, deserve the mercy of God, but he extends it because he's God. Paul here reinforces this He said, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or a man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Paul is saying that God freely determines according to the counsel of his own will those who he shows mercy. Because God is sovereign. Hear this. He is free to show mercy 
to whoever he wants to show it to. God shows mercy by actively helping those who are miserable due to circumstances beyond their control. You can't control where you are, and God extends his grace to us as a prescription for the position of our fallen nature. We are sinful, in need of a Savior, and God sees fit to extend mercy to sinners. Let's, let's bring it closer home. Think about it this way. Many times, we see ourselves as a shiny chandelier. We see ourselves as a shiny chandelier. You can look, but don't touch. And because we see ourselves as a shiny chandelier, we think that we have the privilege to hang from anybody's ceiling. But what God is saying is, not only are you not a shiny chandelier, not only do you not deserve to hang from anybody's ceiling, at best, you're a beat-up light fixture that has no power. But he's saying, hey, while that may be you, understand that if I choose extend my mercy to you, that's my choice. But if I don't choose to extend it to another person based off of what I foreknow, that's my choice too. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. God is sovereign. God's sovereignty is not based on our merit, but based on his will. Hear this. Because God is sovereign, he doesn't treat anybody unjust. Because God is sovereign, he's free to show mercy to whoever he wishes. Third and final point, hear this. Because God is sovereign, he's free to harden whoever he wants for his glory. He's free to harden whoever he wants for his glory. Understand this, that even if it makes us uncomfortable, God is still going to be glorified. Even if the loved one, that the people that we love so much never come to the knowledge of knowing the Lord, guess what? Some way, somehow, God is going to be glorified. And we're just like, well, how? I don't know. I just know he's going to get the glory. Right? Because he's sovereign, he's free to harden whoever he wishes to, disp- to display his glory. Watch what he says, closing out our text today. Watch what he says. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Verse 17 defends God's righteousness in withholding mercy from some according to his purpose. He did it with Esau. But to point out the obvious, y'all, Paul does not say he has mercy on whoever believes in him, and he hardens whoever does not believe in him. That's not what he says. That would stand really Paul's explanation and the meaning really on his head. We're not dealing here with Paul's opinion, but with with, with what Scripture says, which is what God says. And as such, we need to submit to it joyfully because it reveals something about God's perfection as God. uh, It reveals something about not only about God's perfection, but it reveals something about God that we really need to know. 
Paul is saying that God is not unjust to raise up a proud sinner on the stage of world history and use him for God's greater purpose of demanding his power and causing his name to be widely proclaimed. God did that by hardening Pharaoh's heart and bringing the plagues of Egypt, culminating really the destruction of Pharaoh and his army as they pursued Israel across the divided Red Sea. He did it. God could have chosen to be merciful to Pharaoh and the Egyptians by softening their hearts and by telling them about the need to put the blood on their doorposts to escape the wrath of destroying angel who killed all of their firstborn. But God rather chose to harden Pharaoh's heart for the greater purpose of displaying his glory and power and judgment so that his fame would spread throughout the earth. As the righteous, sovereign God over all, God has the freedom to harden sinners for his greater purpose of displaying his glory and power and righteous judgment. Some people think about this and we just try to get off the hook by arguing that God only hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But God announces twice to Moses in advance that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's only after that the account says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh could harden his own heart. If Pharaoh could harden his own heart, that would mean that God ain't totally sovereign. This does not mean, y'all, that God coerced or caused Pharaoh to sin. God does not cause us to sin. Pharaoh was responsible for his own sin. Let me give you scripture. James, we're drawn away. By our own lust and entices, let, 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 let me make it plain. We're drawn away by what's on the inside of us. Scripture has many examples of God using evil people and even Satan himself to accomplish God's sovereign purpose for his glory. We see it in Genesis 45 and Genesis 50 and 1 Kings 22 and even Acts 4. All he has to do is to withdraw his restraint and leave sinners to their own sin. But when he is through, when he's through using these sinners for his purposes, he justly judges them for their sin. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 shows us that. But hear this. Blasphemy to accuse God of being unloving because he didn't save them all. Everyone justly deserves God's judgment because of sin. It is not unjust to grant mercy to some to display the glory of God's grace and to harden others to display God's glory and righteous judgment. God is 100% sovereign. He controls all things. God being God is not predicated upon anything that we're able to do, anything that we feel or what we feel. God is sovereign simply because he's God. He's sovereign. God's choice to save is not based on human merit, but on his will and his mercy. Here, he emphasizes, right? Paul emphasizes that God has the right. God has the privilege. God has the power, right, to, sh to, to, to show mercy on who he chooses and to harden the hearts of others, all according to his divine plan. Hear this. God, our God. It's sovereign. Our God is in control. And I know, right, that we, we, we wrestle through this tension of God being in control because we like to be in control. 
We love, right, to have the controller in our hand, pressing all of the right buttons, right? Uh, Y'all, the other week, I sat at home and did absolutely nothing for like four days, right? And as I sat there, I played my video game. And as I was playing the video game, which I don't quite do often, I sat there and played it, um, but for whatever reason, the game I was playing, I didn't have no money. I didn't have no ammo, right? And I would do crazy stuff and just lose my life. So I grabbed my phone, Daryl, and I put in a cheat code. And when I looked at cheat codes for this game, I said, oh, there is a cheat code that gives me unlimited money. There's a cheat code that gives me unlimited ammo. There's a cheat code that helps me beat this game quicker. But here's the reality. Something happened. When I put in a cheat code, Pastor Darren, a message comes up on the screen and says, if you follow through with this cheat code, any of your progress will not be saved. If you follow through with this cheat code, you, you will eventually lose everything that you thought you gained. If you follow through with this cheat code, it's not nothing is going to save. What's the problem? It's the same, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Let's not go to this cheat code thinking that if I follow it this way, if I do it that way, or do it like, like God loses power. No, because if we do anything outside of God's way, you lose all progress and you will not be saved. Why? Because he's sovereign. It is he that is pressing the buttons in your life. And, and let me tell you something, he's so powerful, he don't need no cheat code. Everything that he's taking you through, he has the power to bring you through it. So here's some questions. I'm closing. I'm done. I promise. But here's some questions, right, for you to wrestle through. Ask yourself, where do you wrestle with God, with God's control and choosing to do his will over what you want? Where in your life do you wrestle with trying to be in control when you know that God is? In what ways has the mercy of God impacted you? to trust him more and more in your decision-making. Why is God being sovereign so difficult for you to grasp? I'll tell you mine. It's hard for me to grasp, and honestly, I just want to be wanted sometimes. And because people don't want me fast enough, I try to do things to make them want me quicker. Can I just be vulnerable today? But the more and more I mature in Christ, I realize that he's sovereign. He's in control. Therefore, I don't have to make people want me because he does. And if I rest in his hand. Thank you for listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by the message on today. To respond to today's message, please go to fcbcstl.com forward slash respond. If you would like to give to support the mission and vision of Faith Community Bible Church, you can go to fcbcstl.com forward slash give. God bless.